You're listening to The Word of Hope, a radio ministry of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, the wedding feast is ready. Jesus, the bridegroom, stands at the center of the parable in the gospel lesson this morning, and he is the one who has made this feast possible. He has set the table with gifts of grace, purchased with his own sacrificed blood. His Father's kindness towards you has been secured. And now at His Father's side, Jesus awaits the final consummation with His Bride, the Holy Christian Church. And He urges His Father to send forth messengers with glad tidings to implore people to come to this wedding feast that the hall might be filled. Thanks be to God, God's will is done. The wedding hall, just as Hope Lutheran Church this morning, is filled. And so you have been brought together to feast on the delicacies that Jesus has obtained, your forgiveness and your everlasting life. You've heard the summons, and you're here. But do you have the right clothes on? This is the most troubling part about Jesus' parable this morning. I mean, it would be great if it just ended with Jesus sending out the messengers to grab the people off the highways and he fills up the the, the wedding hall. But then there's this troubling part about the father, the king, looking out over the gathered guests and he finds the one guy without his clothes on and says, Get out. Everything, dear saints, in this gospel lesson hinges upon the wedding garments. What are they? How do you obtain them? These are the questions that Jesus has set before you, and we must wrestle with them. But first things first. Before the man was cast away from the Lord's presence, there were others who didn't even make it into the wedding hall. Jesus, you have to remember, was speaking during Holy Week to his kinsmen, the Jews, to the Pharisees and the scribes in particular, and they had been called. The feast was set for them. For this very moment, these, the sons of Israel, had been set apart from the unbelieving world. This was the week of the great Passover when God's own Lamb would forever atone for their sins. And yet, Jesus is telling them, straight to their faces, that they don't care. Or worse, that they're going to kill the messengers who bring nothing to them but glad tidings of God's mercy. This parable as well as the others that Jesus told them that day in the temple. I mean, these parables were really nothing but a thinly veiled attack against the coldness of their hearts. And there's no mystery to this. They knew full well that Jesus was talking about them, that he was saying that they were the ones who are going to reject the king's messengers, because in their hearts they had already been plotting about how they were going to seize Jesus, how to capture him, and even to put him to death. And if they were about to do this to the Lord, how do you think his disciples could expect anything different from for themselves? And Jesus knows that, and he wants his apostles to be also the hearers of this parable. He's telling them what to expect. That even though the word of life is placed upon their tongues, they should expect two things, to be ignored or to be hated. Jesus isn't one for sugarcoating the truth, it seems like. This is the warning of the text. 
The same warning that you know from the third commandment, that to despise the preaching of the gospel is to mock the God who loves you. It's to mock the word that he gives that invites you to receive the gifts that his son has died to obtain. And Jesus even instructs you, who sit in the pews, so that you won't be caught off guard when the devil tempts you. Like the two men who rejected the messengers in the gospel lesson, uh, you too can be tempted not so much by loafing around in bed. I mean, that much is obvious. You're here this morning. Thanks be to God. (laughs) But you are tempted oftentimes with work. Busyness. To be productive is, it seems like nowadays, is the highest virtue in society. That's how people judge you. That's how people uh, uh, decide whether or not you're a worthwhile individual or not, is whether or not you're productive. That's how you're supposed to judge yourself at the end of the day. How many hours did I put in? Did I make a difference at, at my job, at my work? Have I made a difference through my volunteerism? And so I can see how hard it must be for many of you to, to look at what you're doing right now and to be given a false sense of guiltiness that here I am sitting in church doing literally nothing but listening when I could be productive. How the world must look at me and mock me. But you know, dear saints, that work is not the most important thing. And what matters at the end of the day is not what you say about yourself, but what God says about you. And he says that no matter what you have done, you are his dear child, and he loves you because of what his son, Jesus Christ, has done for you. Now, there is a second warning that also comes against those who would actively work to seize, to shame, and then to kill preachers. And yes, this was first spoken against the Pharisees, but the same holds true with anyone who desires to to, to shame the Lord's called ministers. Now, thanks be to God, here in our case at Hope Lutheran Church, you, the members, hold me and sometimes Pastor Wolfmuller in high esteem. (laughs) Now... But nevertheless, the Lord Jesus is promising that attacks against preachers are never far off beyond the horizon. Because there, is, there are people out there who desire nothing more than to, sh- to, to shame and to hurt the people who have the audacity to tell them that they're sinners and that their productivity doesn't mean nearly as much as what God says about them. And to those who despise the Lord's messengers, Jesus says the king sends his troops to destroy those murderers, and to burn their city. Now, that might seem kind of harsh, but you have to remember that the messengers of the king speak with the king's voice. And to kill his messengers, to shame them, is to kill and to shame the king. It's to be in rebellion with him. Now, perhaps the most astounding thing is not God's wrath, or his fury against those who despise him, but the fact that even though he is despised, even though people reject him, he continues to insist that his wedding hall is filled. Now, you and I might be tempted to cut our losses once our anger has been spent, but that is not the way it is with your Heavenly Father. He sends out his word, knowing full well that people will care less to hear it, but that doesn't make the invitation any less genuine or real. And so when people do reject it, he sends his messengers out to the highways, 
to people, as Jesus says, who are bad and good. The Lord's word will accomplish its purpose. He has promised it. Now, what about those of you, and, and, and probably me myself, who have heard the invitation but have sinned in either you know, treating the Lord's word with contempt or treating his messengers shamefully? Or have thought more of our productivity than what Jesus has done for us? Well, the Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Thanks be to God, even though Satan and your conscience testify against you, saying that there is nobody like you, there is no place for somebody like you at the wedding feast, the Father, according to his son's bidding, sends his messengers to deliver you a sure and certain invitation. And he means what he says. And so I say to you, as a called and ordained messenger of Jesus, that everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Your Heavenly Father wants you there, and He means it. Now, we still have the pesky problem of the wedding garments. How can you find your way into the wedding feast and yet get thrown out? But this is really no different than what Jesus has already said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of your heavenly Father? It's to wear the garments that he has provided for you. You see, it's not insignificant that the king in this story expects his guests to wear the proper wedding attire. The requirement doesn't change whether or not you're in the city surrounding the palace or if you're a vagrant or a passerby on the highway. Now, think about that. If you are a Gentile who's passing by on the highway, a stranger in that land, and you have nothing but the the travel-stained rags on your back, how in the world are you going to have the right clothes for the wedding feast? You're not going to have them. That's the point. The messengers who come with the invitation also bear with them the greatest gift of all, the garment of Jesus' righteousness. This is what makes you pleasing in the king's sight. And this is what your heavenly Father has given his Son into death to obtain. That his righteousness might be given to sinners. And you know that this is what Jesus is talking about. And thanks be to God, because this garment that your heavenly Father has given you is spotless, it's pure, it's without stain or blemish, it's perfect. And it was draped over you when you were called out of the highway of this world in your holy baptism. And this is exactly what St. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. He says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That is, have put on his righteousness as a garment. This is exactly why when you see little babies who are are baptized here at a font, uh, what are they dressed in? A white robe. A robe that symbolizes the righteousness they have now obtained through this call, out of the, the, fallen, the fallenness of this world and into the kingdom of our Heavenly Father. To come to the feast in your stained and tattered clothes is really to bring your own righteousness, your own worthiness, into the wedding hall. It's clinging to your works and even perhaps taking pride in your sins and demanding that, that God receive you and accept you for their sake. And you know it's not going to work. 
That's why the man was cast out. This is the example of someone who despises Christ's righteousness. But that is not you. You know that your works are torn to shreds by your sins. You know that this road in this world has beaten you down into exhaustion. You're filthy, and you're unworthy of appearing in the king's presence. But then the messenger finds you. He invites you to the feast. He gives you your robe by saying, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And when you stumble, and when you fall, and when you sin, and you fear that you've stained the righteousness that Jesus has given you, the messenger tells you, remember the messenger is going with you back to the wedding hall, He tells you, you are forgiven for Christ's sake. Look and see, no amount of sin or shame has stained this perfect robe. He has overcome the mud of sin. He's destroyed the corrosion of death, and he's silenced the stains of Satan's accusation. Come to the wedding feast. Everything is ready. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's Word of Hope. Hope Lutheran Church is located at 1345 Macon Street in Aurora, Colorado. Their weekly schedule is as follows. Sunday morning worship at 915, adult Bible class and youth Sunday school at 1045 a.m. On Tuesday mornings, there is a matin service at 830 a.m. with a Bible class to follow at 930 a.m. You can find out more about Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org. That's www.hope-aurora.org. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you in His grace.